there is actually a sutta that I would like to uh, uh, discuss with you. But I'll do it only in, um, say, <clears throat> an easygoing way, as opposed to uh, what I intend to do with uh, Chitan later, is to go into this same sutta in great detail and even into the Pali. All right. Okay. The name, um, uh, let me bring it up so I can be correct about it. Okay, uh, it's actually in the Samyutta Nikaya, number 46.54. And um, I'll send you a link. Oh, that's perfect. Mm. Oh, that's what I need to hear. Okay. okay. Have you got it? Yeah. Yeah, I would not bother for you to, to turn the poly on. We won't work with that too much. But you can see that it is the Metta Sagagatha Sutta. Okay. All right. But the 46 is not in the section that you would expect. That in fact, 46 in the Samyutta Nikaya is about the Sambhojana. And so that's an interesting point right away. If you, in other words, if you're looking through the book and you find a section on Sambhojan and then you find a sutta in there, that's an interesting curiosity. Um, and that uh, basically the way of starting out is to say that metta was a practice that did exist both before and concurrently with the Buddha outside of Buddhism, as well as many people who practiced metta, joined the Buddha's organization and continued to practice metta, and that they were generally, if you look at the Anapanasati Sutta, you can see that in fact uh, the metta practicers are invited to practice Anapanasati. Mm. All right. Now, one of the most important things about Anapanasati is, is that it is the method and practice of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana. And that the Satipatthana is practiced to fulfillment for the fulfillment of the Sambhojana, the seven factors of enlightenment. Okay. And the seven factors of enlightenment are practiced for 
the knowledge and vision and deliverance or moksha or the muti, which means escape or freedom, deliverance. Um, let us say, um, in a way, the above, the really above ground railroad, <laughs> as opposed to the underground railroad to, um, to freedom. All right. So when we understand that, we also, um, and we'll get into the details of it, but there is a major relationship between the Eightfold Noble Path and the Sambojana. That in fact, the Sambojana is the fulfillment of the Eightfold Noble Path. And in that way, you can see why it's arranged the way that it is, because the practice of the Eightfold Noble Path is not the result. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So uh, basically what we're starting with is this uh, Metta Sutta uh, that is in um, the um, Sambhojana section of the Samyutta Nikaya. So I'll go ahead and just read it to you if you don't mind. Right. At one time the Buddha was staying in the land of the uh, uh, Kalashians where they have a town called, oh, I'll skip that one. Uh, they then several mendicants robed up in the morning, taking their uh, huh, their their robes and entered uh, that town for alms. Then it occurred to him, uh, it's too early to wander for alms in this area. Why don't we go? to the area of the wanderers who follow other paths. I'm actually making some changes here in the way that I'm reading it because I already know the Pali and, and I'm reading it according to the Pali, not according uh, to, the, um, uh, to the way that it's written. For instance, there's no, no reference to the word monastery at all. Hmm. The word that's used is a pleasure grove, a garden, a park. Especially that sounds nicer. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> then they went there to the wanderers who follow other paths and exchange greetings with those uh, wanderers there. When the greetings and polite conversation were over, they sat down to the side and the wanderers asked them. This is the wanderers speaking. This is that other group. Reverend Sir, the aesthetic Gautama teaches his disciples like this. This is not what the Buddhist monks are saying. This is what other people say that, the, that Gautama teaches, which is what they do also. Come, mendicants, give up these five hindrances, corruptions of the heart that, um, that weaken wisdom, med uh, Meditate spreading a heart full of love to one direction and to the second and to the third and to the fourth in the same way above, below, across, and everywhere, all around, spread a heart full of love to the whole world, abundant, expansive, limitless, free of enmity and ill will. Okay, you have more than likely heard something very similar to that, if not that exact quote. Yeah. In their various translations. Then they say, meditate spreading a heart full of compassion. 
to one direction, to the second, to the third, to the fourth, in the same way above, across, below, everywhere, all around, spread a heart full of compassion to the whole world. Now, in this sutta, the Pali actually is karuna. I'll have to break into a little bit of Pali. (laughs) Karuna is the word. The next one is meditate spreading a heart full of rejoicing to one direction, to the second, to the third, to the fourth, in the same way above, below, across, everywhere, all around, spread a heart full of rejoicing to the whole world, abandoned, uh, abundant, expansive, limitless, free of enmity and ill will. Now, actually, I make this particular sentence here um, quite an important part of the practice for those who have already gained some good skills in Anapanasati. Mm. Once, once we have joy, with a heart already full of joy, then we can express that in one or another direction, wherever we are, even to the point that you're sitting in a car and you pull up to a stoplight and there's some kids in the back seat of the other car. You can spread joy to them. You can knock on the window to get their attention, and then you can do this or all kinds of things and spread joy, okay? And so the problem with it is is that you have to have a heart full of it. Now, the word heart, huh? Yeah. Now, the, the word heart full of rejoicing actually... Uh, the word here is actually the word sita, which is actually the mind, but it's the part of the mind that has uh, emotions. That in the in the Thai, they often will make a distinction as to how they're going to translate that word sita. I'm glad to say that in this case, probably because just the context, that he did get it right. Using the word heart here is the right. And instead of spreading a mind full of rejoicing, it should be said a heart full. In other words, you're, you actually feel it. This is a feeling of joy. It's not uh, um, mental or intellectual in any way. Okay. Then they say meditate spreading a heart full of equanimity to one direction to the second, to the third, to the fourth, in the same way above, below, across, everywhere, all around. They spread a heart full of equanimity to the world, abundant, expansive, limitless, free of enmity and goodwill, or uh, free of enmity and free of ill will. So, um, one of the things that we can look at, and you've probably heard this before, uh, they're actually pointing in six directions. The four yeah, I was directions just going to ask about that. Company. It's kind of weird how they specify all these directions all these times, you know. Right, okay. Uh, these are actually the six points of the compass. North, south, east, west, longitude, or let us say altitude up and altitude down. Now, these six areas or these six directions actually have... Um, let us say, a philosophical or metaphorical base to them Mm. in the sense that there will be people 
There will be friends and family on left and right side. There will be business people you deal with in front, and there will be those in the back who are trying to stab you in the back. There are those below you which you are running their lives, and there are those above you who rule yours. Okay, mm-hmm. politicians or priests or whatever. Okay, so these are the six directions uh, and having to do with those uh, groups of people. Um, I thought you would already have known that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I didn't think about it enough. But I do remember um, in the twim instructions, they say like, just like it says in that passage to at a certain point, I'm sure far beyond where I am, you sort of send that feeling out in all these directions separately. That's like part of the, the process. So I was just curious well, where that came from. <clears throat> let us almost think of it kind of like a disco ball covered with mirrors and you have various lights shining on it so that as it spins around that the light uh, kind of in a stroboscopic effect goes all over the place, just moves all around, okay? That's the way to think about it. Um, uh, so how we can see that in, in practice is uh, from the perspective of the Buddha has the word adventitious defilements. And what he means by that is that, advent- that defilements will come up according to them taking advantage. In other words, they have an opportunity. Okay. You will also have an opportunity in the same way with these six different directions of these six kinds of people. So when you're with the boss, he's up, but you still relate to him as if he were you. There's the guy trying to stab you in the back. And when you relate to him, you relate to him with kindness and free of ill will etc like that when you when you deal with the people who work for you or uh service workers and you could even think of it like that in the sense of a checkout clerk at a grocery store Mm. she's there doing her job and her job is to service you and you need to treat her with all due respect okay so these are the various ways uh that we can see that Now, with this issue of equanimity, a lot of people misunderstand what that word means. And in fact, we could cover the Brahma Viharas in a separate talk, but we're going in a different direction right now for integration of practice. But equanimity is, in fact, I look at it like this. I think of it in the sense of sea legs. An old salt, an old sailor on a fairly small ship at sea can walk from one end to the other without any event. But a landlubber who does not have sea legs will not be able to walk from one end of the ship without having several events. <laughs> You may have to grab a hold of that rope and cling on for a minute. He may over heave over the side as an event on the way. <laughs> yeah, I hope there's a rope, right? <laughs> right, exactly. He may go over the side, and that would be quite an event. 
but the one who has equanimity then sees everything that happens as something that they can happen they can handle hmm. this equanimity is really the winner's attitude and the winner also not just the attitude of of the winner in general or in the way that you would think of it uh but the winner in the sense of really you've heard it expressed this way that a truly strong person doesn't have to um demonstrate his strength hmm. but on the way to becoming a really strong person he was really into demonstrating it <laughs> but then when he finally gets it that he is in fact strong he doesn't have to demonstrate it anymore so this issue of equanimity is uh beyond the showing off okay it's when we're satisfied it's when we really have it okay uh and this is a skill to be developed when the actual when the heart is full of satisfaction or full of uh equanimity uh the uh, poly word by the way is upeka and that um I'm I'm not really sure how they came to the word equanimity because that word I without Buddhism nobody uses those words. Well, it's perfect then, right? Pardon? Well, it's perfect then, right? I, except that nobody has a clear definition of what it means. I guess maybe they thought it gave them an opportunity to redefine it as the Pali. But it that's the problem you see is hmm. is that it's not defined it's not defined generally right okay the word love for instance it has fairly clear definitions in our in our language and it has um a whole lot more in the use of the word with um desire mm. than it does with kindness in other words when you love someone that means that you're doing something to for them to get their love back the boy tells the girl i love you what he means is i want you <laughs> and so all of our language is built around that and so love is not a very good word to put into this idea of of metta that metta is actually just uh, a heart full of joy that we spread around and that heart of joy means that i'm joyful even if a catastrophe happens but really the catastrophe is only in the sense of someone would call it a catastrophe mm. if you don't call it a catastrophe then perhaps it's not a catastrophe maybe it's just another event another uh experience and when you've had enough of experience you recognize that okay people will call some experience a catastrophe and other ones will call it something else but an experience never lasts they come and they go but if i've had an experience and then i want that experience again then i'm grasping and clinging in other words i've lost my balance hmm. 
okay, that experience is in fact what a lot of people are looking for. But when someone has real sea legs, they don't have experiences. They just have what they're doing, not much of anything in the moment. <laughs> Here's a question for you. Um, okay. Do you think you can have real equanimity if you don't have joy already? No, and the answer to that was laid out in the order in which they're taught. <laughs> and we'll see that in just a moment, too. Okay. The next line, which is one that I referred to earlier, we too teach our disciples in just the same way. In other words, this is a teaching that comes from outside of Buddhism. Hmm. And then they go through and redo it. But not only did the translator not translate it, he even lifticized much of the Pali. But you can still get the little bit uh, um, in there, especially um, verse 4.3, 4, 4.4, 4 .4 and 4.5. You can see the word karuna and mudita and upeka stand right out. Oh, you don't. You don't have the poly on. So <laughs> sorry about that. I was that. wondering where I could turn on like the... Oh, here's how numbers. you turn on the poly. You go to the top of the page, and you will see uh, a a settings um, button. Sure. And it's a, and when you put your mouse on it on rollover, it says text settings. You click that, and there you go. Okay. You turn on your uh, textual information, and then you put view original text and translation line by line, the way it, I normally do it. Line by line, okay. Line by line. Then you activate the Pali word lookup from Pali to English, and we're not going to use the Chinese. And then you, at the bottom of the thing, you scroll to the right or to the remember the settings, and then you okay. click X. That's funny. I'm yeah. learning Chinese right now. Maybe I'll come back to that. Is it... Uh... Is that just translated into Chinese? It wasn't, it was never originally in Chinese, right? There was a whole lot of original stuff and a whole lot of translations from into Chinese from the very early days. Some of the translations mm -hmm. into Chinese are better than what, what was left around in India. And so they have retranslated some of the Chinese original old stuff back into Pali. And oh. fit it in with some of the stuff that they have. Yep, that's exactly correct. Some of the translations into Thai, uh, excuse me, into uh, Chinese are very old. Hmm. Uh, so, getting down to 4.4 is where we had start uh, had left off. You can see now down there. Uh, uh, in, in fact, in, at verse 4.2, you can actually see uh, Avaso Pancha Niravana. Okay, that's the five hindrances right there. So they're just repeating what they talked before. And then on the second line is when the word metta is used. 
Okay, so roll over the word meta under uh, 4.2, and you'll see that the word meta is actually translated as benevolence hmm. or generosity, enmity, giving. You can't give something you don't have. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the, the Sahagatha means endowed or connected with or filled with. Those are the kind of words uh, that you would use for that whole word. Uh, uh, Sanghagatina would be um, say loaded down with meta. Right. So one having then, meta well, can give it away. Not a one. In the endowment is there without one being endowed, if you think about it. Uh, okay. All right. No self. Okay. Uh, yeah. Satina then is the word uh, for for purpose. But anyway, let's not do uh, poly right now. I just wanted to point out the Karuna, Mudita, and Upika down to 45 and so this is actually just a major repetition exactly line by line from the stuff that we had just read in english above and so after they do that then they ask this question and this is it this is the whole point that you've been asking me <laughs> what then is the difference between the aesthetic gautama's teachings and the instructions and ours Okay, because they have heard that there is metta being practiced by some of the monks that, uh, uh, that are associated with uh, Gautama. But here's what happened. Those bhikkhus neither approved nor dismissed that statement of the wanderers who follow other paths. Whether they just got up from their seats thinking, we will learn the meaning of this statement from the Buddha himself. In other words, they didn't get into any arguments with them. Hmm. They left. Then after the meal, but they did stay, I guess, for the meal. Or maybe they went on arms around, we don't know what happened. But after the meal, they went back to the Buddha, uh, bowed and set one side and told him what had happened. And here you go again, all in detail. Now, all of this detail, again, is in fact uh, done for the purpose of understanding and memorization and that it would be better in our Pali uh, translations into English that they actually translate the Pali into English instead of trying to save space or time. <laughs> Let people read through this stuff over and over and over again mm. so that we get down to now, we find that same statement at 8.2, 8.3, 8.4, and 8.5. And so they go and tell the Buddha line by line what they said. This is the third time now. The first time they said, this is what we understand Gautama to teach. Then they said, this is what we do. And then they ask, what's the difference? And so the Buddhist monks then go to the Buddha and give him the whole story the third time. If they're going to be doing uh, Mudita Karuna Upeka 
over and over and over like this, that's an indication that it has power and importance. Sounds like it. But it does also understand that this is not the teaching of the Buddha. And so now we might begin to find out why. Uh, and so here we begin. Uh, let's go down to uh, 11. Point one. And it looks like this is the Buddha talking. Ekambando uh, Bikuve. Yes. Okay. So the Buddha is addressing the Buddhas, uh, his monks. When wanderers who follow other paths say this, you should say this to them. But reverence, how is the heart released by metta developed? Here he dropped into using the word love, but in fact, it's uh, the Pali word is um, metta sitamo vimuti. That sito is actually the mind, so it actually means a mind that is free. To have metta. Hmm. Then they ask, King Gatati Hoti, Kim Parama, Kim Fala, Kim Periusana. Okay, that Kim Fala means what is the fruit or what's the benefit? And the Kim Periusana is the, not the really good word for the word end. A much, much better word would be what is the conclusion? Okay. Okay. Open-ended. You think of end as an event. Okay. You could also say what is the result? Hmm. Okay. But you could say what is the, what, which way are we going? What's the high point? What's the value of it? And what's the point? What's the purpose of this? That's the question that the Buddha would ask. How is the heart released by love developed? Okay, because earlier that you said, number one, hindrances removed. That's a major key. Right. Okay. Also, having the hindrances removed is a major key for first jhana. Therefore, if you are practicing metta correctly, it will be the first jhana. That will be the destination and the fruit. And you pretty well already know I'm really big on first jhana, and so was the Buddha. <laughs> But there's still something missing. And then he asked, how is the heart released by compassion developed? In other words, how do we do these things? Because a lot of people will sit. I mean, I've seen instructions. I've been to retreats where they say uh, almost in unison for a while, may all beings be happy. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't do it. That does not bring on the joy, really. How is the heart released by compassion is even more difficult. In fact, I've never seen them actually practice something that will release the heart into compassion or sympathetic joy mudita. 
nor into equanimity. Can I ask something real quick? Um, sure, sure. Maybe I'm overanalyzing, but like, what exactly do they mean by heart's release in this case? Um, the Pali word I'm looking at right now is upeka sito vimuti. The word vimuti is the word for freedom and the mind is released. And I'm not sure that the word by is the correct word. How is the heart uh, released by equanimity developed? I would say uh, the word released, by the way, is that is the word for vimuti, and there's not uh, a lot of um, uh, problem with that. But how is the heart released for equanimity to be developed would be a better translation. Mm. That is not released by equanimity, it's released. And how is a released heart developed so that it can practice upeka? Okay, so it's not um, so you're saying you have to release the heart first and then as later or as a result, you have Upeka. Okay. That's why they're talking about uh, what is the destination? What is the apex? What is the fruit? Because the fruit of Sito Vimuti is in fact Upeka. It's almost like that if you're practicing Metta, you have the cause-effect system backwards. Mm. You're <laughs> developing the, re- the, the, uh, uh, the end result, but the end result is actually done through a cause. If you develop the cause, then the result will happen. Okay, so uh, basically, that happens, by the way, a lot. I see that uh, quite often that people get things backward. <laughs> you get things, uh, they call it the cart before the horse and other things like that. Okay, so when we say how is the heart released by equanimity developed, it's got it backwards. But if you say how is the heart freed, how is a free, freed heart developed for equanimity? Okay. And then the Buddha says, questions like this, questions like this, the wanderers who follow other paths would be stumped, and in addition, they would get frustrated. Okay, so when you say how the way that I'm um, uh, translating it, that would be possibly frustrating. Because we're rephrasing it to get it right. We don't develop equanimity in order to release the heart. We release the heart so that it can have equanimity. Questions like this, the wanderers who follow other paths um, would be stumped and in addition would get frustrated. Why is that? Because they're out of their element. In other words, this is you, the questions you ask is too much. 
And um, when we use the following words, we have to understand that this is a bit magical the way that it's translated, but we're actually talking about real things. I mm. don't see anyone in this world with his gods, Maras, Brahmins, and those are actually people. In fact, the word gods here is actually, oh, where is it? I think it's Deva. I haven't looked at this one. Yeah, Deva. Okay. The word Deva does not translate to a god. The mm. word Deva translates in the Pali the way that we would use Deva in Hollywood. A king is referred to as a Deva. In fact, okay. they would refer to him directly as an honorific Deva. Mm. Okay. So, uh, uh, the Maras here are just, let us call them bad actors. It doesn't have to be a devil. But this is how it is actually, uh, I don't see anyone in this world with the aristocracy, with the low life, with the priest, this population with its aesthetics and uh, recluses, its um, aristocrats and human, hum, ordinary people who could provide a satisfying answer to this question except for the Buddha or his disciple or someone who has heard it from them. And how is the heart released for metta developed? What is its destination, apex, fruit, and end? It's when a mendicant develops the heart's release for love together with, ah, and here's the list, the awakening factors of mindfulness, the awakening fact, actually, uh, the word that uh, Bhikkhu uh, Bodhi translates is, is very, very telling. It really gets it when he says, unremitting mindfulness mm. because remember this is sambojana this is actually uh the practice and fulfillment of the eightfold noble path so the eightfold noble path is a set of skills to be developed when those skills are developed then you have them as factors of awakening okay and that would be unremitting mindfulness unrevitting investigation of, I wouldn't call it principles, I'd call it investigation of the situation. Okay. You also have the word energy, then we have the word pity or rapture, then we have the word relaxation, which they're using as tranquility, and then we have the word samadhi, which they're wrongly translating as immersion. And then equanimity, which is now part of the path here. In other words, if we have these factors developed, then equanimity will be there if you have it unremittingly through unremitting mindfulness, unremitting investigation, unremitting energy. Now, this word energy, actually, um, we can look at each one of these and we can see, in fact, there's the Eightfold Noble Path sticking right out in front of us. 
sati. That's right sati or right waking up. The next one is investigation. That's right view to keep investigating, to keep knowing, to keep looking. The next one would be right effort. When right effort becomes unremitting, then it is actually energetic. Okay, it's almost like a very weak man who goes into um, the the, uh, the gym and uh, he just, because someone left it on the floor, a five kilogram dumbbell, and he's going to pick it up and put it on the shelf over there. That takes effort for him to pick that up. But two or three years later, or maybe someone who has been practicing for two or three years, they can pick up that five pound, uh, five kilogram dumbbell easy. Sure. Easy, right? So when our effort is developed as a skill, it becomes actual energetic. Okay. That as soon as we think about it, of course, we're naturally just going to take a deep breath. We're just naturally going to throw out the hindrances if they're there. Okay, with that then comes, and they're using the word pity here, but we have to really understand this from the concept of how we practice anapanasati to develop pity, which is also the same thing as sukha, which we can also use as joy. That in fact, he would probably have been better in this translation to not have used the word rapture because nobody knows what it what the word rapture means. Yeah. Especially now that the Christians have it. I was just <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> and to them, rapture is an event. Mm-hmm. But with us, it's just good feeling. Okay. Tranquility, actually, this is step four of Anapanasati, which is uh, the Pali word is, is, uh, uh, comes from our word passive. Tranquility is not a good translation. Just like rapture, not a good translation. Yeah. Perhaps the worst of all is the word he's using for samati is uh, immersion. But the word samadhi does not mean either immersion or concentration. What it means is collected together. Unification of mind is exactly the right way to look at it. Okay. And when you have unification of mind, when you're not pulled this way or that way, like the floor of a ship that's rocking back and forth while you're trying to uh, go from one end to the other, If you have unification of of mind, which means you're paying attention, you're watching where you're going, then it will become eventless in your transportation. Therefore, you will have equanimity, which is the sea legs, the upeka. Right. Okay, so this is how uh, this is practiced. But now he says it, it relies on seclusion. It relies on fading away and session and ripens in letting go. Wow. Wow. The Buddha actually is referring here, or whoever wrote this, to the Anapanasati Sutta directly. Mm. 
especially fading away secession and ripening and letting go, is in fact step 13, excuse me, 14, 15, and 16 of Anapanasati. What is it that fades away? Every event, every experience, every experience that you have will end. It'll fall apart. Therefore, there is no reason to uh, cling to any experience that we've had. Okay. And yet our whole society is event and experience oriented. We have all kinds of events, right? From marriages to funerals to uh, graduation ceremonies and all kinds of things like that in, in ordinary culture. And yet here, it looks like that what the Buddha is really referring to is let's be in the here now and not cling to those things which we used to be impressed by. That's where, in other words, um, if I'm impressed by something, then I'm not equanim. I'm not. It's, it's bowled me over. It's knocked me down. I'm. I'm not okay. up to it. Okay. This is the uh, the inflection that we're getting with this equanimity. Means that it's like another expression: water off a duck's back. Hmm. If they wish, I'll read on. May I meditate perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive? That's what they do. If they wish, may I meditate perceiving the unrepulsive in repulsive? That's what they do. In fact, this is um, uh, what part of the practice that the Buddha did in the charnel ground, but he, he stopped doing that. Okay. To not have the students go and spend a lot of time in uh, looking at unrep- uh, at repulsive things. Uh, so, um, some people will say that the way to do that, though, is uh, to, okay, <laughs> an example would be how young men could see young girls, we always see them as not repulsive. But uh, according to the traditions that I know that goes along with the Buddha, you would say that, oh, if you want to see who you're marrying, go look at her mother. And then if (laughs) you want to see what you're going to wind up with, go look at her grandmother. Wow. Do you understand what I mean with that then? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. So we actually begin to see the repulsive in the unrepulsive. She's going to get old. And the very thing that makes her so unrepulsive is that she's young. Or at least she's working really hard to appear young. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so if we can see the reality of the situation, we can see both the repulsive and the unrepulsive. And so he's talking about, yeah, they can do that. 
because that's in a way part of the meta practice is seeing the unrepulsive in the repulsive. That guy that's stabbing me in the back, he's repulsive. Can I see him as unrepulsive? Okay. If they wish, may I meditate stating, uh, uh, staying equanimous, mindful, and aware, rejecting both the repulsive and the repulsive? Then that's what they'll do. Okay, in this sense, the repulsive uh, means that whatever experience that comes by, whether that experience is repulsive or unrepulsive, they just let it go. We reject kind of both of them. This is how we get into the state of equanimity is by uh, actually a very good expression would be been there, done that. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was wondering if you think rejecting is the right word. It almost sounds like aversion, which I don't mm-hmm. know if that's what they intended. Dropping it away or forget about it would be a not better holding way. on to it. Right, not holding on to it. Uh, okay, the apex of the heart's release is beautiful. I say, for the mendicant who has not penetrated to a higher knowledge. In other words, when one does have that point in time when they do have uh, metta, that their countenance is quite beautiful. And how is the heart released by compassion developed? And then they go through the same things uh, by seeing the repulsive and the unrepulsive. and so we down to the apex of the heart's released by compassion. When the mendicant uh, develops a heart released by rejoicing together with the awakening factors of mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, tranquility, immersion, and equanimity, which rely on seclusion, fading away, and cessation, and again, ripens and letting go. Okay, so... Unless those that are practicing metta are not also practicing these stages that they're mentioning in the Anapanasati Sutta for the fulfillment of the Sambhojana, then it's going to be kind of temporary or it's going to be difficult to develop. It's not going to be really easy to do. Okay. But you can also see that if we're talking about um, the kind of feelings that we're sort of pointing at when we talk about uh, um, rapture. Let me look into Pali here and see. Uh, he is part of the ellipse. He left it out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, which means we'll have to go find it someplace else. Um, one of the things that you can think of with pity is, is that pity is kind of like uh, a continuum and that at one end of the continuum is sukha and the other continuum is pity. And that the common factors that pity and sukha have 
are extensive in the sense of uh, safety, security, contentment, satisfaction, uh, but pity has an extra, extra element of, uh, let us call it excitement or energy. The, uh, the difference, uh, let us say it this way, the difference between pity and sukha is the difference that I'm saying now. Pity is yippee, and sukha is ah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And we can see that continuum in normal places. An example of that is when the, when the touchdown or the score is made, some of the fans will jump up in the air, throw their hands, they cheer, and they shout, and then they sit down, and they look at the scoreboard, and they'll nod with each other, and they'll move back and forth. They go from pity to suka, right? The same thing happens at uh, New Year's on Times Square and other places where the ball comes down, and then when uh, it gets to zero, everybody cheers and yells, oh, we finally got over that bad old year. We got a new one now. And then they start playing the music Old Lang Syne, Al Lang Syne, and everybody rocks, okay, back and forth. So this is pity and suka. The pity is almost like you could say the popping of the cork mm, of like the... Uh, uh, a bottle uh, of um, uh, summer wine or um, champagne or something, and then the suka is the drinking of the rest of the bottle. Okay. Um, another example of it, which this is kind of gross, is uh, when a gun is fired, you'll have an explosion of sound, the bullet and everything, including a lot of fire, comes out the end of the barrel. That's the pity, followed by then, especially if you've got gunpowder, a haze of smoke around. And so that haze of smoke, that afterglow, then would be the, the, the sukha, which means then that pity and sukha are deeply connected. It's very difficult for uh, pity then uh, to not fall into satisfaction. Imagine, for instance, a race where you have like the 100-yard dash at the Olympics. The guy who's winning the race, if he's actually winning the race, he knows it right immediately in that second before he, hits, he touches that uh, 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 ribbon that he's got to cross, right? He knows it already. <laughs> and you can see it in his gestures. One of the things is, is that he, he's just running because he's running. He's continuing to run. But, oh, no, he'll put his chest up so that his chest will hit that. Okay. That's that pity. That's that uh, spiking of the ball. Right. Okay. Okay. That's the pity. Right. But after that, then the runner is going to take a knee. He's going to kneel and he's going to catch his breath and he's going to feel completely satisfied at one. Okay, pity sukha, pity sukha. In that way, you can also see here that this tranquility is also part of the sukha that comes. First the pity, then the sukha that is completely relaxing. Mm. 
completely relaxing. And once we become completely relaxed, especially if we're practicing this sequence on an on a ongoing, unremitting basis, then that's when the mind will become unified in the sense that the job that needed to be done has been done and there's no more jobs to do. So that there are no more um, events. The event is over. Okay. That's okay. And in a way you could say all of the events are over. Are you talking the cessation now or? Uh, equanimity is going to be quite uneventful. Okay. All right. It would be a big event if someone came and laid a heavy weight on the scales because the scales are going to tip. But if someone has uh, equanimity for scales and you can come put that heavy load on it and it's not going to tip the scale. Right. Okay. It's almost like having a wooden crate or something under the teeter-totter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so then they go on with this repulsive and unrepulsive because that's a, uh, a major aspect of the, uh, of the meta practice is beginning to see the unrepulsive. If they wish, I, may I meditate and perceive the repulsive? Uh, let's get down. If they wish, may I meditate staying uh, uh, balanced, mindful and aware, equanimous, uh, I would better, a better possible way to word that would be balanced. Sure. Yeah. Okay. May I meditate staying balanced, mindful, and aware, rejecting both the repulsive and the unrepulsive. That is what they do. Uh, the apex of the heart released by equanimity is the dimension of nothingness, I say, for a, med for a mendicant who has not penetrated to a higher freedom. Now, what that higher freedom we're talking about here is released from even having experiences of nothing or whatever, that we begin to see things as back empty. Okay. I wouldn't call it a dimension of nothingness. I would rather say it is when we see things as empty. So, this, is, this sutta then is actually pointing out that uh, the, the teachings of the Buddha uh, kind of incorporate and go beyond the teachings that were already there, partly because they say that, here's the two things that are said about it. One is, is that uh, it's not the practice of metta is not completely liberating. But at the other side of it, it's uh, even worse in the, say, in the sense of the way that this suit is stating it is, is that uh, it's not maintainable. 
that we can practice metta, but if we're not practicing sati, then our then our metta will not be unremitting. And so practicing anapanasati is the more complete method. And by doing so, we actually are incorporating kindness or uh, benevolence. And where are we going to start with that? We're going to start with benevolence at home. But in fact, the Buddha has, uh, in several different suttas, the Buddha is talking about friendship with Ananda. Ananda came, uh, the, the, the sutta, by the way, I forgot the, name, the number of it, but the, the name of it is the half sutta. It's so funny. <laughs> because um, Ananda comes to the Buddha and says that Sariputta told him that uh, friendship is half of the Dhamma. Hmm. And the Buddha says, no, not true. That friendship is the whole of the Dhamma. Well, if you understand benevolence and enmity and friendship is all the same kind of thing, then, uh, um, in fact, the word for spiritual friend is kalyamata. Okay. And so, uh, metta is kind of the result of the practice rather than the cause or the um, work that needs to be done. But uh, it can be cultivated, but not for the six directions of the compass, but rather it has to be cultivated on the inside. In other words, if you're not friendly within, so that you're friends with your own anger, you're friends with your own delusions, and you're, you see that stuff, and it is not necessarily repulsive to you. You reject the repulsiveness and you begin to accept yourself as the way you are. Become friends with yourself. Um, one of the ways that we um, have thought about it is um, imagine that you've got a dog that's in, that goes out into the yard on occasion and starts barking. The owner of the dog has to go take a look to see why the dog is barking. If the dog is barking, there will be, uh, depending upon why he's barking, and you can see why the dog is barking, you can take various actions. Right. One of the things we can do is we can call the dog off. And then when he gets off and he comes back home, we scratch his head. Good boy. Down, boy. All right. We don't kill the dog because he's barking. Right? I hope, I hope not. not. I hope not. Exactly. And so there is no reason for us then to have that same attitude about our own anger or our own frustrations or whatever like that. That we can learn to become friends and accept what's going on on the inside. This is actually part of the practice. And that's also the part of the practice of Anapanasati of actually gladdening the mind, step 10. Step 10 is 
gladdening the mind, which means we're actually throwing out the hindrances. Now, if you are actually able to throw out the hindrances and start having good, wholesome thoughts, thoughts of metta are good, wholesome thoughts. The practice of metta, when done correctly, will take someone into first jhana, but they got to kind of know what they're doing. Mm, okay. You got to actually let yourself feel good. Then, in fact, I have seen occasions and heard other stories, especially of uh, some old grumpy woman comes to the retreat and she starts practicing metta only a couple of times a day or uh, whenever they call for it. Mostly it's in the evening. And certain, and, and she eventually, during the metta, becomes filled with bliss. Her tears are rolling down her eyes. Uh, uh, everything about the continence of this lady changes. Okay? That means that her practice is beneficial. Perhaps she go, has to go through layers of remorse about how badly she's treated people in the past. But again, that's unrepulsive, or that's repulsive. And we don't see the repulsive as repulsive. We see it as out it goes, just another experience. Right, yeah. Okay. So uh, we can get the benefit of metta if it's practiced correctly. And that it also has a great deal of um, appeal to the Western mind because of Christian influences. In fact, you could go so far as to say that metta practice in Buddhism is what the Christians ought to be doing <laughs> when they're being out there racist Trump supporters. <laughs> is they should have some good old loving kindness <laughs> for that quarter that they have below them, the uh, immigrants. All right? Yeah, that'd be nice. So... In that regard, you can see where the mindset of the Westerner, when they hear about metta and they hear the word loving kindness, it has a certain appeal. You could call that appeal, in fact, when that appeal is useful, it's inspiring. The teachings of metta is an inspiring teaching. But it's actually more practical to put into play if we practice all of Anapanasati, that there's bits and pieces missing in the metta practice. And okay. because of that, it's not easily sustainable and maintainable to where that's exactly the intention with Anapanasati, of getting the mind fit for work and then keeping it fit for work by maintaining the mind is going to stay in wholesome states. Okay, and somebody would say, yeah, but I can do metta and my mind will stay in a wholesome state. Yes, but also it's quite possible for the hindrances to come back if you don't have mindfulness. Okay, so mindfulness and also you have to investigate what the mind is doing so that you can decide, I'm only going to have thoughts of metta and not have thoughts of um, whatever the hindrances would be unwholesome thoughts right and then the next would be is is that is in fact the metta practice generating pity and sukha do you actually feel like you can give metta 
Do you have that boundless joy and you know you've got that boundless joy? Yeah, not always. Uh, although my intuition would be they would say I haven't uh, practiced it long enough to have experienced it yet. You know? Yes, you have. <laughs> the first time you practice, this is it. Gladden the mind, get yourself into a really good state and then maintain that. That's the whole practice. It's actually easy to do. And as you continue to do this, the skills that you were using to get into that state will be developed so that your effort becomes energetic. That's one of the main differences is that in the beginning, it takes a bit of effort. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you've been in the habit of feeling bad. You've been talking yourself into feeling bad for all these years. And now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. And so Sounds that's like a what plan to me. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound very simple. And I guess it is. You just have to remember. <laughs> yes, it is. It is actually quite simple. If we can remember. And so there you are, for instance, laying in bed at night and you haven't gone to sleep, but you begin to think about what happened during the day or what you've got to do tomorrow. And then you say, wait a minute. I'm going to just lay here and enjoy the night. I do not have to make any plans or think about anything. It's just, ah, what a nice night. <laughs> or things like, oh, what a happy family. Isn't this so nice? Okay, so we begin to have wholesome thoughts. Those wholesome thoughts actually is a kind of meta. It's a kind of benevolence. Now you're being benevolent to yourself. You've, you've um, uh, let us say, uh, given the mind less work to do. Whatever it was doing, say, you don't have to do that. You can feel good instead. So remember, you talked yourself into feeling bad. You talked yourself into feeling good. <laughs> That's right. And... Now I think you understand how that you can not see them as different practices, but when you see it from metta only, you're missing some of the pieces. But when you have all of the pieces of the puzzle, there the metta is also. Right, okay. And Karuna, and Mudita, and Upeka. Are those the Brahma Viharas that I hear about and don't really know what they are? Well, we've just been talking about them. Karuna, that is translated into compassion. Uh, a better word, I think, would be empathy. But a an even more important word to use would be that you can see what other people feel without having to feel what they feel to where compassion is is that you have to feel what they felt in other words the woman is sitting on the couch her son has just died and everybody will be very kind to her and everything is good but when someone even a stranger sits down beside her on the couch and says last week i just lost my son too and you start to cry. And now you've got compassion. That's real compassion. But that's not what we want to do. Because that seeing 
of the um, the repulsive as repulsive. Equanimity is actually there in uh, um, Karuna. If we can see the situation and see how the lady is hurting, but I don't have to hurt. Mm. Okay. And I can give her what she needs to hear without having to feel bad the way that she does. So this is what we, why is that? Well, we've already got metta. We've already got the good feelings. Why am I going to squander my good feelings to feel bad just because this lady feels bad? If that's what's happening, then that's actually mudita. Working in reverse, in in the sense that she feels bad, therefore I feel bad. Hmm. Or, Or someone is angry, I feel angry. I join them in their feeling state. Why do humans do this? It's instinctual. It's part of our herding instinct. It's part of our um, nesting instinct. It's part of our socialization. But we're talking about something higher than that now when we're talking about this kind of mudita is is that we are not engaged in the repulsive and unrepulsive. That we're just merely seeing things the way that it truly is which yeah. means we're not vibrating to that tune. Hmm. So if we can now keep our joy, that means that now we can spread joy. That if somebody's uh, frustrated and angry and upset, you don't have to get frustrated, angry, upset with them. You can remain joyful. You can actually give them your joy. Yeah, that sounds more useful than just strong, being upset. Right. You've got to have a strong mind to do that, or a mm-hmm. unified mind, okay? Well, well rehearsed, well practiced. And so that's the reason for that word in there that was mentioned called seclusion. The Buddha was actually quite big on seclusion. We have to get away from it all mm. on the outside so that then we can find out what we brought in with us and get rid of that also. And so that we can develop the heart that we want to have. The heart of joy, the heart of success. How do you know when you're ready to leave seclusion? Uh, Unfortunately, events often happen with that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So that would be event-oriented. The the more important question to ask was, how do I cultivate the intention and the motivation to go into seclusion? Because you can do that. I mean, you can sit right where you are right now. Close your eyes and go into seclusion. But then something's going to bring you back out of it. (laughs) Right. But while you're in seclusion, you can, instead of practicing whatever the hindrances are that you're used to doing, you can practice, wow, isn't this nice to be secluded? I don't have to do anything for anybody. Nobody's asking me anything. Don't have any jobs to do. 
Okay, so that's the kind of thing that we want to look for seclusion. It's when we can find satisfaction that the job that needed to be done has already been finished. Mm. If anything, the only job there is to do is to clean the hindrances out of the mind. That's the only job there is. But is that, that job, the... uh, is that job ever finished, really? <laughs> it is every time you do it. Mm-hmm. And then the hindrances will come back. Now what is your job? Get rid of the hindrances. Okay. It's almost like the question you ask is the question that the, uh, uh, let us say, the service attendant in the kitchen is asking. And he and so uh, the chef says, go take that trash out. And he goes and takes the trash out and puts it in the alley. He comes back in and he says, is there any end of this trash? And he's asking the chef. <laughs> Of course, there's no end to the trash. <laughs> but you want to keep your kitchen clean, so you've got to take the trash out. Yep. You're not going to, you're not going to ever get a, a, a... If you stop taking the trash out, what's going to happen to the kitchen? <laughs> it's going to pile up. <laughs> exactly. So think about it like that. Don't look for the end of it. Look for, oh, if I don't do it, then all we've got is a messy mind. But if I clean out my mind, then I've got a a clean mind. And this moment is nice. But we do begin to develop some new useful habits. New habits, new skills that eventually take over and replace the old ones so that an example of that would be anger. In the beginning, somebody will say, I'm not angry when they are angry. They don't even want to recognize it. But then they get on the path and then you say, wait a minute, I do not want to be angry. Therefore, I'm going to start watching for it. And so then a friend, next time it happens, a friend says, you sound like you're getting angry. And he says, yep, I'm going to stop that. And then later he catches himself. And then later he uh, catches it in time so that he doesn't make a scene and you keep his mouth shut. And then later he uh, uh, recognizes he can handle those bad feelings and he doesn't have to get angry at all. And then he'll look at something and say, oh, that used to make me angry all the time and now I don't get angry. And then it comes to the point of Hmm. In other words, we've forgotten all about it. Mm. Mm. So in that sense, we can produce less trash less often, maybe. Right. Produce less trash less often, but you still got to take the trash out. Okay. I also use the example of shaving. Let's say the old guy had a really, really tough beard. He hadn't shaved, hadn't washed. It's got scabs and lice and all kinds of things in it. But somebody's finally talked him into shaving. That first shave is a trip. (laughs) Four or five razors and uh, dissatisfying and not really a good shave at all. 
but he shaves again the next day. Then he gets a good razor and he shaves. He gets used to shaving. But he's not going to come to the point of, hmm, I'm really good at shaving now. I'm so good at shaving, the beard doesn't grow anymore. <laughs> no, but we can get really good at shaving. Okay. Okay. Does that make more sense, Sam? Sure, yeah, I think it makes sense. All right. So the skill then to be developed is how to handle the stuff, and it does kind of dwindle off if you continue to develop wholesome habits and you do not allow the mind to dwell in unwholesome thoughts and habits, then they will atrophy. That old neuron connections that you don't use anymore, when those neurons die, they won't be replaced. Mm. Some more wholesome neurons will be in, in service. And so it, over time, gets easier and easier. That's why we call it energy now, in the uh, Sambhojanga, as opposed to right effort when we're still on the path. Okay. So I had a, um, I had a question from earlier, I think. Let me see. You were talking about sukha and pity, this uh, spectrum. Um, I was wondering, is this... I'm guessing you're referring to the feelings or the mind state that arises during the first jhana is that right yes so then these, these are flags that are flown in first jhana okay so does that all happen in the first jhana and like do you, what do you do when that happens anyway if you're in sukha eventually enjoy <laughs> maintain keep that state investigate it Get to like it a lot. Keep wholesome thoughts to maintain that. Thoughts of metta. Wholesome thoughts. Okay. But one of the things, though, that I think that is kind of missing in the metta practice is... Um, the Four Noble Truths, which actually has to do with seeing Dukkha as Dukkha. You have to see Dukkha as Dukkha. You cannot pretend that it's not repulsive. It is. Okay. That unwholesome is unwholesome. We have to see it as such. Where strictly the meta practice is just trying to see everything as uh, uh, metta, uh, and and take no stock of uh, is it repulsive or not repulsive. You can use that quality as I've been demonstrating. But in a way, we have to see, really, through investigation. We can't just turn a blind eye and say, oh, I'm going to practice metta. Hmm. You have to really investigate. Okay. To keep the mind open, to keep the uh, the hint, to keep the trash out. <laughs> okay. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, Brian, and I'm glad that we um, are kind of working this out because what you're talking about uh, all along is a really important kind of thing. 
because you're kind of confused as do I do this practice or that practice? No, it's the same practice. <laughs> okay. When it's done correctly, you'll get even more benefit out of it. That sounds good to me. All right. Well, we'll see you later. All right. Thank you. You go have practice and go have fun. Don't have one. <laughs> have have a have a big happy now. <laughs> All right. Take care now. Okay. See you. Bye bye. Bye.